We're back to the Neil Haley Show in the Total Celebrity segment. When I talk about a great basketball player, the accolades of this woman are just, it's amazing. I guess they say she's considered one of the best ever to play in the WNBA. I'm excited to welcome to the program, gold medalist, and also uh, WNBA Hall of Famer, Cynthia Cooper. Cynthia, thanks for calling. How are you? I'm super wonderful. I cannot complain. I'm doing fantastic. So tell me, did you think when you started playing basketball that you would be as considered one of the best when you first started? You know what, Neil? I'll tell you, the reason I started playing basketball is because I grew up in a very poor neighborhood. I understood that education would was the future and would get me out of that environment. And I knew that sports would allow me to get could allow me to get a scholarship in order to in order to further my education that was the goal initially so no i didn't think i would be a champion or a gold medalist or even a hall of famer i just wanted to be able to pay for college you know get a degree and then go into you know my whatever business i you know chose to go into that's great because that at that point in time, there wasn't those opportunities for women in basketball, right? Never thought of making money in a professional career unless they went to Europe, right? And it was not that much money at that time. So you were really at a, a point where, hey, this is my ticket to an education, which you wish that student athlete continues, which it, it does in women's basketball, but still some uh, don't have that mindset you had when you were growing up. Well, absolutely. I, I, I think, you know, for my mindset was one, I need something, some help paying for school. Athletics, I can do that. So um, I worked really hard and I was compassionate. I was passionate and I was very, very determined to um, to succeed in sports because I really felt like that could be my uh, bridge to a better future. Um you know, I think athletes nowadays are given a little more than I had when I was growing up. Um, so they take things for granted. I took nothing for granted. And, you know, I don't, I had only been playing basketball for three years when I was offered a scholarship to USC, a private university. So for a kid coming to, from the, you know, inner city to have a scholarship from USC, a private university was amazing in itself. But then when you look at the talent that was on that team, that really helped to to mold my then confidence and my my work ethic, my skill set, and with Cheryl Miller and the McGee twins. Oh yeah, but, yeah. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I wanted to be successful at whatever it was that I put my mind to. And and at the time, it was academics because they were going to get me out of my environment, and basketball because they're the ones who gave me the opportunity to get out of my. Um, inner city environment. So um, I was so not just passionate, I was grateful. And because I was grateful, I worked extremely hard. I listened. I did whatever it took for us to be champions. And see, that's your mindset, your work ethic that we can talk about today where you're at uh, versus then. And you just kept on bringing that. Who would you say got you to that point? Because I really believe it it has a lot to do with ourselves, but also people around us that finally l light a fire under us at one point. It might not be like, this can't be a parent saying, force you, force you, force you. They can be a good role model, but ultimately it's the it's our decision to light the fire under ourselves. But who do you think were those mentors that guided you to to uh, be that 
motivated to do well? I will tell you, I had very few mentors when I was growing up. I mean, if you can imagine the environment of the inner city, I had a lot of examples of what I shouldn't do and not many examples of where I should go and who I should follow. Um, But if you really think about the mentality of a kid from the inner city, you know wrong is wrong. And so you, you, I knew exactly what I should not do, the path I should not go down. Eventually my mom became a, a source of inspiration for me because I was able to see her persevere. I was able to see her be determined to get off of uh, welfare or government aid and find a job and take care of her eight children. And, um, and she wow. was a source of motivation, but she, she, it wasn't verbal. It wasn't hugs. It was that it was just, she rolled up her sleeves and she went to work. And when that happens, then you're get, you get motivated and you understand that it's not about the hug. It's about action. What are they doing to help you get to a better place than they were at? And my mom helped me do that and, and helped me believe that no matter what I, I believed in, no matter what I wanted to achieve, that I could achieve that. I had I had the tools to achieve that. And I, I, I got further confirmation of that once I got to USC because my teammates rallied around me, my coaching staff rallied around me. And because of that love and support, I was able to open, they, they helped me open the windows of the world for, for to me. And see, and just to talk about Cheryl Miller and how much she carried the baton at that time for for women's basketball. Can you speak about that, especially playing with her and stuff? You know, so many people call me the Michael Jordan or they call me the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Or Cheryl Miller is the GOAT. Cheryl Miller is the greatest player I've ever seen play the game of women's basketball. She can absolutely play. and, And we would go at it. You know, her team was the CIF state champions, and we, and we were the state champions, you know, coming from another, I guess, little section of Los Angeles in, in, in California. So I we were always kind of competing. We never really played against each other in high school, but when we got to college, I mean, those practices were intense, man. That probably harder and more difficult and more intense than actual games. And, and and that's how we grew and got better. But Cheryl Miller was an absolute beast. She could play basketball. She was the first player at her size to do the things yes. that everybody marvel at now. So she was a three-point shooter. She could get to the rim. She played great defense. She dove under the tables for the ball. She was just, she finished at the rim or above the rim. She played above the rim. And um, and she was just, she was just great. She had the complete package back in the 80s. Yes. You know. And, so Re- and, Re- and Reggie was just her little brother. Meaning Cheryl was the big star, meaning Reggie was just developing and under being known. So people don't understand that if they don't understand the history of basketball. Right. And and Reggie will say the same thing. Reggie will tell people the same thing that, yeah, I mean, he might've gotten into the NBA and and he made a bigger name, but the bigger player, the bigger personality, the bigger, um, I, I think game changer was Cheryl Miller. She really showed six three post players that they don't just have to sit on the block and play back to the basket that you can face up. You can step out and shoot the threes. You can you can have so much more of a dynamic game and Cheryl Miller was was that and then some. 
How much? How much did you guys win at USC? Because again, I remember just Cheryl and that history. Uh, not as much about you know that team. How good were yes. you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, people call me. I'm a Hall of Famer, so I'm a Hall of Famer. But I, on that team, that team was so incredible that I, Hall of Famer, came off the bench. Oh my gosh. So I came off the bench. It was Cheryl Miller, the McGee twins, Rhonda Wyndham at the point guard, um, Kathy Doyle, J.R. Um, uh, Julia Robinson. So they were the stars. I came off the bench to be the spark plug. Um, but that's just how talented that team was. And we won two national championships back to back in 83 and 84 and then three out of my four years at USC we made it to the championship game uh, we lost one and won two see that's just amazing to be part of that tradition but then it was different as I told you this is before WNBA so you headed after your career at USC overseas and that's where a lot of women still today make money overseas playing overseas except with covid right but before right. that time again covid put a monkey wrench in a lot of things and, and we'll talk about that when we talk about the five but ultimately your journey uh wasn't straight to the WNBA because there was no WNBA when you graduated correct um i played my first year of professional basketball over in spain in valencia spain a small city called betara um, so I averaged a lot of points. I averaged 45 points. Oh my gosh. From there I went, you know, I was still coming into my own, you know, I'd kind of gotten out of the shadow of the McGee twins and Cheryl Miller. Now it was my turn to show showcase my talent and what I could do, but I also developed my game overseas. So, um, I went from Spain and I spent the next 10 seasons, 10 years in Italy. And that's really when I kind of came into my own, I, realize who I was as not just a player, but a go-to player. Um, and all of the confidence that I gained playing on those great USC teams were put to good use overseas. And so that was the only option for us back then. And it was nice to be able to make a living in something you love, meaning a living, not, we're not saying like became rich, but meaning you at least could make a living going and playing basketball. Well, absolutely. And not only are you making a living and you're making good money and you're playing the sport you love because you would have been playing that sport anyway, I, I also believe I, I got a chance to see the world. Yeah, you did. So we didn't just play in Italy. We were in Greece. We were all over Europe, you know, out in um, France and um, got a chance to, to visit Epernay where they make champagne or down uh, in Israel or, you know, over in Austria, it didn't matter. We traveled all over the place. Um, And even with the Olympic teams, you know, we were able to travel the world with USA basketball. And remember now, if you dial it back a little bit, I'm just a kid from the inner city. I'm just a kid from Watts. So I'm, I'm grateful for this. And I want to give, I want to demonstrate how grateful I am in every practice and on, in every game. 
I mean, I just, I can't imagine uh, the opportunities you had. Again, I played one year of college basketball before I stopped playing college basketball. I played Division Three out at Western Maryland, which is McDaniel right. College, and then I was going to go on, but then I got involved in professional wrestling. I'm a legitimate 6'10", and I put weight on and did the minor leagues of pro wrestling for years. But again, basketball is my love. It's a sport that's just an awesome sport that I... Nice, uh, Neil. I, look yeah, at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I remember, and I always dreamed I wanted to play... Uh, when I was playing at Western Maryland, I was thinking, hey, maybe I'll have the opportunity to play for the Washington Generals against the Harlem Globetrotters. That was one of because I think one of the players that played there. But again, the opportunity, the dream that you got to go do that. And then this WNBA comes out. And what are you thinking to yourself? I'm thinking it's going to pass me by. You know, I'm thinking it's going to, this opportunity, you know, I'm on the tail end of my professional career over in Italy. I've been playing 11 years. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thirsty for America. I'm thirsty for my family, my friends, all of the friends that I had lost touch with because I was overseas for so long. Um, so I thought the opportunity was going to pass me by. Um, so I put together, I put together some video. I put together some stats. Um, and to send to the WNBA and let them know of my interest. And so I, you know, put it in a FedEx box. I'm getting ready to send it off. And before I sent it off, you know, I wanted to call to let them know the package was on the way and that I was so incredibly interested in playing in the WNBA. So I, I call uh, Brown. Uh, gosh, I forget her name right now. But I, I called her and I said, hey, Renee, Renee Brown. I said, hey, Renee, you know, this is Cynthia Cooper. I play in Italy. I'm so, in I, I really want to play in the WNBA. I said, I'm going to send you a packet. It should get there in about a week. <laughs> you know, I'm over in Italy. And she's like, Cynthia Cooper, you know, from Parma? I said, yeah, yeah, that's me. You know, I'm sending you all this information. I really hope you give me an opportunity. She cut me off. She was like, oh, you're in our top eight. You're going to, you're going to play for Houston. Like, we've been looking for you. We don't have your contact information. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, to her, I said, oh, well, thank you. Well, here's my address and my phone number. <laughs> but in the background, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm playing the WNBA. You know, it was just an exciting moment. And so throughout my career, I've always been excited for the next step. That what, what, what God, what my journey, the next step in my journey, I've always been excited for that. Um, and I never want to take anything for granted. So when I was given an opportunity to play in the WNBA, I was like, yes, let's go. I'm going to bring my A game every day. And I did. And you were playing with a lot of kids just out of college that were top stars or a couple of years into college. I remember when WNBA started, they really marketed a lot of the younger players, right? And and oh, some absolutely. of the ones that were known, uh, you know, with March Madness when really, uh, you know, college but women's basketball became really well known with the major schools that were counting on those major schools that sell out all the time, not the eighties. Right. So you got, yeah. you were, you came out of, you were under the radar completely in a lot of ways, even though not ranked as one of the best players, but for the average fan, they were surprised by yours. How, how exactly, yeah. mm -hmm. exactly. So, so if you can imagine this for a second, I've been in Italy or, or Spain for 11 years. Nobody knows who I am. Cause even when I was at USC, I wasn't the star of the team. So nobody knows who I am. I'm completely under the radar, radar. Thank goodness that the team in Houston, they had a, a general manager who looked at my film 
And I was like, ah, she might be old, but she's good. <laughs> so we're going to bring her in because if you guys remember at the start of the WNBA, Cheryl Swoops was pregnant. Yes. So they had to bring in someone else that could tie, you know, hold the team down until Cheryl Swoops was ready. Um, little did they know that person was me. And I'm just a winner. That's all I want to do. That's all I focus on. That's my passion. I'm not a participant. Anybody can do that. I participate to win. And and so when I got here to Houston, I was like, listen, Coach Chancellor, I know you guys don't really know my story. I know you don't really know what I've been doing, but I, I guarantee you I can give you more. And he was like, all right, if you can give me more, give it to me. So I, I started I started on the journey in that first year, um, and we were able to win that championship and then the next three after that. Yeah. And that's it because everyone was really, I remember when the WNBA started, everyone was like, okay, what's this league going to be like? What's going to happen? And the first champions to tell you, really the microscope was on you guys. And you just surprised everyone with these championship after championship after championship. And there you yeah. go. And, the, and, yeah. and, and, and Neil, I'll, I'll tell you that, you know, that wasn't expected. No one expected that. Because if you also remember, the first year was the first year, right? So we won that championship. But the second year, remember, there was another professional women's basketball league, the ABL. Okay. And and so they then, the second year, all of those players, the ABL folded, and then those players came to the WNBA. So everyone was talking about there's no way you can win back-to-back with all of these new players, all the, they're talented, they're young, you're old. Everybody kept calling me old. Um, but they were like, you can't win. And we had the highest winner, winning percentage that year, the second year of the WNBA, 1998, of any professional team ever. We were 27-3, and 3, 90, 90%. And, and, and we, we won that championship. So the, the whole point I'm making is, no matter what people tell you, believe what you believe. Believe in yourself. Believe in what you see in the mirror. You can't believe what everybody is telling you because they don't know the fire that burns in your spirit, in your heart, and your drive. They, they don't know that. And so you've got to make sure that you stay true to who you are. Absolutely. So after your career in the WNBA, where did you end up going after life after basketball? And then we're going to talk about the five really quickly, especially tonight's big game. Uh, but uh, tell me specifically about that after you retired from from the WNBA. Where did you go from there? So after retiring, um, I wanted to have kids. So I have boy-girl twins. They just oh. turned 18 in June. Um, so I've, I'm married with twins. And, um, and I wanted to have that experience as well. But right now I'm into coaching. I love teaching basketball. I coach at Texas Southern University right now, but I've also coached at Prairie View A&M, USC, Southern Cal, as well as UNCW out in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, I love teaching. I love motivating. I love these kids and I, because they are the future of women's basketball. And I want to make sure the WNBA, as a, from a coach's perspective, I want to make sure that the WNBA stands um, – you know, stands the test of time and, and stay around for a long time. Ah, oh, such a great uh, story, uh, such an awesome thing. And then 
you get asked, tell us your responsibility of what this whole, what, how you were involved for the five tournament. Again, tonight, again, uh, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, tune into the championship game. But I wanted to kind of get your, why they brought you in involved, the involvement in this. Well, we had a hoop quality game where it was the women against the men. So WNBA against former WNBA players against former NBA players. And, you know, they, they, they take it easy on us a little bit in the second and third and fourth quarter. Well, mo- most of it was because we played the first two quarters with the men's ball and they had their way. You know, they were shooting in rhythm. Their athleticism is unparalleled. And so we struggled in the first two quarters, but then the third and fourth quarter, we made a comeback because now we have to play with the WNBA ball. You know, my, my, my women were more familiar with that ball, more comfortable with that ball. Um, and so we made a little comeback, but you know, the guy, it was a great, um, friendly game where we just showcased the talent of both women and the men. Um, and, and it was fun. It was fun. It was great competition. The guys didn't take it easy. I mean, they got a little silly and crazy at the, towards the end, but, um, it was a really, really great game. And then the five tournament, you know, I met a lot of those guys in the bubble at the hotel and they're really passionate about this game tonight. I mean, this three-on-three competition is so competitive, and these guys are dialed in. They they want to win. And it's cool that all these guys played in the NBA on all the every team, and now we're at the championship games. So, and it could be Toronto again, which is interesting for sure. Now Toronto is playing. Tell me who Toronto. I don't know. I don't. I don't know that answer. So, well, yeah. don't worry. So I. I, I um. Gosh. I'll. I'll. I'll, I'll, I'll cheer for Toronto. Sacramento. Okay. I'm. Nope, I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna say Toronto <laughs> wins. <laughs> Everyone put yeah. it out there, but okay. But the. the, I, the I think Toronto might win as well. But <laughs> I will tell you, these guys, they're getting their rest. They're drinking their water. Oh, yeah. They're making sure they're massaged. They're. They're getting everything that. They're taking this as serious as they would have taken it if this was an NBA game in the bubble. Um, And it's going to be super, super competitive, and these guys are ready. I had a great conversation earlier, and it's going to air as well, with uh, Jerry Castello. And uh, what I liked about our conversation I brought up is this is such a great thing. This is all pay-per-view, but they need to re-air this, especially the Battle of the Sexes game. Because, you know, I remember Billie Jean King. And look at this. And this is when I heard this whole conversation, I've been talking it up uh, the last couple of weeks on my show. I said, wow, I got to watch this because I, I don't want you to tell us what everything that happened because hopefully they do a replay. Because I think that's the story of this whole five tournament is the battle of the sexes. And what, how excited you got to be that you were part of this. Yeah, I was super excited. Let me tell you one thing about the guys. The guys respect the women. And I remember we were doing the um, the intros. And when we were doing the intros, I, they introduced me last. And they started, you know, railing off all of my accomplishments and the Hall of Fame. And, and some of the guys didn't even know. So as they started to hear all of the things that I've accomplished with my teams, they're like, whoa, yeah. oh, we just thought you were Cynthia. We just, we just thought you were cool. Now, we see, didn't know all of this. See, I, I remember this completely. And when somebody offered me you, I said, okay, I, I'm not going to Google, but I'm saying that name just rings a bell. And now I just remember completely the story. 
Once, I mean, I could picture watching the WNBA at that time, watching highlights. I'm so busy now. I'm not the kind of guy when the WNBA, when I was still playing basketball, or at least a huge sports fan, that had the chance to sit down and watch all those games. But I remember your career. And I mean, to say to yourself, you're one of the best that ever played the game. You have a gold medal. You have all these different WNBA. You're a Hall of Famer. What's next for Cynthia Cooper? What is she doing now? Where is she now? Yeah, you told so you talked about the now. coaching. Yeah, yes, what, I'm coaching, um, and I want to win a national championship as a as a coach. I think I would love to retire as an NBA coach. Wow. Okay. Because I I love basketball, but I love basketball overall, and I can coach women. I can coach men. I'm I teach. I motivate. Uh, especially I I I. I think one of the strengths of my coaching ability is that I catch you, I take you where you are, wherever you are, I take you from there to where you want to be. That's my strength because I've been at the top. I know what it feels like. I know what it looks like. And I know the work you need to put in in order to arrive there. Fabulous. I was thinking motivational speaker. I, I see. I, 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 <laughs> that's where I, I, I put you in that category and coach NBA. Okay. You're going to do it. I know you're going to do it. And so you, <laughs> did you. you choose to locate to Houston because of your success in the WNBA at Houston as your home? Yeah, I, I mean, I love Houston. Houston's my home. Um, and then uh, I coach here at Texas Southern, so it's, um, it's, it's a good fit. Oh, so Texas Southern is in Houston. I didn't know that. Houston, Texas, yes, downtown. Is it, mm-hmm. is it a D1? Well, third ward. Is it D- yes, D1. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Well, awesome. Well, uh, best place we can connect with you is as coach. I know you're probably, you're probably on social media, but you really aren't all out there because the head coach can't be all out there. Unless, Correct. So Correct. are you on social where people can connect yeah, with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on Twitter, I'm all decade 14. And then on Instagram, I'm C Cooper 14. Well, Cynthia, thanks for taking the time after the flight and everything and uh, and uh, all the craziness being in in the bubble. But uh, I appreciate you coming on and what a great story and best of luck. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. Take, take care. care. Okay. Bye bye. You'll listen to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show in the total celebrity segment. And I'm so glad, you know, technology sometimes allows us time to speak before an interview. And this guy, again, I believe could be the most Googleable if he wanted to be, but he's not. But the, again, his event that was in Vegas, that's finishing up today with the five is so interesting. And I've been talking to stars about the battle of the sexes versus also uh, getting to hear stories from NBA players. I'm excited to welcome the program, Jerry Castello, Jerry, the founder of the five. How are you, Jerry? Neil, I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Oh, I'm excited to talk to you, and I think we're going to be good friends. I really like it. That's what I love about uh, the media and the opportunities to get to talk to people and say, wow, what a, we have a lot of things in common. But tell us your kind of entrepreneurial rise real quick, because off air we talked about it, but I love the story and how where you are today and, how you, and then talk about how you founded The Five. Well, I have to tell you, I mean, I've always been a hard worker, you know, the guy who was, uh, you know, flipping burgers through high school and, uh, you know, really, really uh, did it to support my athletic career. I come from a family of modest means and I uh, played Division One basketball at Hofstra University. So when I knew that I had an opportunity to maybe, you know, supplement my career with a scholarship, I mean, all I did was uh, uh, work um, 
to get money to go to basketball camps because those camps even back then were four or five hundred bucks. My family couldn't afford it. So, I mean, literally from a lemonade stand and things like that to even once I was in college, uh, I used to sell these training shirts called the dream, the work, the reality. And people would, <laughs> people would buy them left and right. I was uh, 15th man on the bench. My, oh my freshman gosh. year. Yeah. And by junior year, I was starting, you know, so wow. my, my, my whole life has been uh, starting at the bottom rung of the ladder and climbing your way up. And this tournament uh, has been every bit of that analogy. So it, it started young for me and it's just worked for me and I just stay with it, you know. And then so that entrepreneurial mindset I was about to mention, I said, I wonder when you did were the head coach at NYU because I got recruited for them in basketball. But I think you and I are close to the same age. So probably you coached NYU a lot later. You didn't recruit me. That's for sure. But that would have been funny in a conversation. But I, I graduated uh, high school in 91 and ended up playing one year at Division three at Western Maryland, but NYU was to, uh, took a look at me. Uh, when did you coach at NYU? Yeah, so I was the head coach of the JV team, and at the time I had a very nice article written about me because I was kind of like the youngest head coach anywhere in America. You know, I was like 22 years old and coaching a you know a major program, even though it was the uh, the JV, one of the few schools that still had a JV. We had a Division One schedule. We played Columbia, we played Fordham, we played Hofstra. But I was also the assistant uh, to the head coach, Joe Neshi, uh, you know, beginning in 1989 all the way through for a few years. And uh, 1993, played for, you know, national championship. And as the five starters, you know, I recruited all, you know, I helped recruit all five starters on that team. So I had a great run there at NYU and then transitioned into uh, Wall Street for a number of years and was able to have successful uh, again, bring up the entrepreneurial spirit. Very, very funny. I um, NYU's Division Three. You don't get paid that well, right? And there was uh, uh, the allowance to go get a part-time job. So, being that it was close to you know NYU's Low Manhattan, friend of mine said, "Hey, listen, I know it might not be up to your you know your educational background, Dean's List student, Mark Twain for the gifts and talented, but." There's a need for a guy shoving paper in a shredder. If you want it, it's yours. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I literally, I literally took the job shredding paper, you know, something like right out of a movie. And within about 18 months after I had, uh, you know, moved on from NYU, uh, I was that uh, person who got me the job. I was his supervisor, and I went on to found uh, a very uh, successful uh, multi-million-dollar commodity company. And some of my clients include like, you know, John Henry owns the Red Sox, you know, Paul Tudor Jones is one of the richest men in the world, uh, Goldman Sachs. So did very, very well. And uh, just, you know, uh, very, very fortunate that my offices, which were in the Trade Center, I was not in my offices that day on 9-11. And uh, thank God my company did not lose anybody, but obviously a very traumatic day for me and for, for America um, and kind of set me on the path after that to maybe look elsewhere and I, I got into back into sports and been running my uh you know b1 patch company uh, almost ever since you know see that's a that's an amazing story and opportunities but you're a hard worker that started from the bottom as you talked about shredding paper to where you ended up becoming and where you ended up going and then you had that entrepreneurial mindset to start something on your own you know wall street's wall street but now this is your own this is your company and how did you kind of, what kind of thought process did you have of running a company versus running someone else's company, meaning being part of it? Yeah. 
Well, I'll tell you, you know, because I went to Severian and, uh, you know, befriended, you know, Chris Mullen, a Severian graduate, and of course, uh, Hall of Fame. Huge fan of Chris Mullen. I'm an old Big East fan. I would go all the Big East, the Big East tournament for Pitt and see Pitt uh, every year with against all those superstars and seeing how we got upset by Villanova when we had one of the best teams, Sean Miller. Uh, uh, Jason Matthews, which is a friend of mine, and uh, and Demetrius Gore. I don't know. W- am I dating you, Jerry? Or are we about no, the same time? No, no look, you're, you're you're speaking my life. Probably the greatest basketball I ever saw in college was that era, where in the Big East you had Ewing and Pickney. Heck yeah, I was at the, I was at these tournaments, man. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and Chris Mullen, and at that same time, over you know, in the ACC, you had Michael Jordan. You know, I mean, people forget that. You know, if it wasn't for Michael Jordan, Chris Mullen might have won multiple wooden awards. And then after Jordan left, Chris Mullen did get the wooden award. So, you know, so, you know, so that, and then Ralph Sampson, I mean, the era of oh, basketball yeah. that was oh. is just second to none. Um, and, I, and I'm very, very fortunate to, to, to be a part of that. And because of that, I actually wanted to be a sports agent. So that was part of where my head was at. And then when the opportunity that came uh, came to be a part of this patch company, I said, you know what? This is a way in which I can work with athletes. I'm myself an athlete. But one of the things that really frustrated me in those, you know, um, controversial times throughout all sports, but predominantly baseball, but all sports, was you kept reading about somebody who, either intentional or non-intentional, suspended, their reputation sullied, money lost, careers ended because they took something either knowingly or unknowingly trying to better their performance. Yes. And and some of it was quiet, some of it was public, you know, but at the end of the day it all led to the same thing. Every athlete wants a competitive edge and they want to keep up with the Joneses. And if you don't, you are going to basically not be on a roster. So the pressure is real and then if you do sign a big contract and you're going in front of 50,000 people, you know, you want to think that these guys drown out, you know, the booze, they don't, they hear them. And when you strike out with the bases loaded or you miss a free throw or a jump shot, you know, whatever it is in sports, they feel it. So the pressure is so real. And when the opportunity came about for me to scientifically develop a product that would be approved for USADA, WADA, amateur, pro, as a matter of fact, the pictures of the athletes who wear my product are all on national TV. You got pictures of Snacks Harrison wearing it, you know, right against the Dallas Cowboys. We've had Devin McCourty wearing it in the Super Bowl. We have boxers wearing it in the boxing ring. You know, Indy car drivers wearing it, you know, on Indy 500 Day publicly so that the whole world can see. I use this B1 patch. It is legal and certified for sport, and it definitely helps me and benefit me in my performance and you know the company has really kind of hit its stride now because our athletes is a, is a who's who and even though i'm not a sports agent the culture and the type of lifestyle i wanted being around sport being involved in sports has been very rewarding so i'm really really glad the way things turned out to be honest with you you just never know and like i look back in my professional wrestling career where i never hit the pinnacle never got signed and now i built this media stuff and now I'm going back again. And it's like I'm going back as a, a different level than I was, meaning I'm the guy that talks to celebrities. I'm the guy who's connected to all these different people. I'm the entrepreneur. So things are just different. It's a different atmosphere, a different situation, which I'm excited about. I'll be honest with you, because it's just it's just you never know your path and your your drive of where it's going to take you. And I've, no, I've learned from the media, the media can bring, bring connections like you. 
right? I wouldn't get a chance to talk to you and say, hey, entrepreneur to entrepreneur, we're going to collaborate on stuff. I'm going to help promote you and other ventures. And who knows what that's going to lead to the next opportunity or the next big interview or next big business opportunity. Well, especially in sports. I mean, sports is such a click in the terms of it seems like it's everywhere, but really it's not. A lot of my growth in my company has been specifically word of mouth. And it's not even word of mouth from football player to football player. It's what football player knows a basketball player. As a matter of fact, even just yesterday, we had a player, um, you know, who is uh, Vicky Ba, who played in our hoop quality men versus women NBA, WNBA game. And her brother plays for the Tennessee Titans. <laughs> so all of a sudden, there, yeah. yeah, she's been wearing the patches and says, you know, would you mind sending me some extra for my brother? And and it's just been that kind of growth where the sports world is such a contained area that if you can connect in and, 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 and have a strong reputation, whether it be as a person, a media personality, or in this case, my product, you really can expand out. And that's, um, to your point, when you do it yourself and it's through your own sweat and tears, it's very rewarding. It's, no it's completely. And you know, I've, I'm a networker and connector. And one of my sponsors now is Celebrity Slots. And I want to offer you that same opportunity. And we'll have to talk about it because I, where I just play the commercial, but we work together and help each other out. And Celebrity Slots is like, hey, can you get Jimmy Fallon for us? Because I'm connected to NBC. See, these are the kind of name drop situations, but this is all through relationships. It's not, oh my gosh, I found you. Just like you and I, we were under the radar, but yet once they get to know us, say, we got to work with these guys because they really know what they're doing. And we're, I guess I'm a mini you, even though I'm six foot 10. So I'm a mini, I'm a mini Jerry. Maybe in 10 years, I'll be as big as Jerry, but Jerry, the five, the five, let's talk about it specifically enough. The idea to come up with this, especially during COVID, I'm sure you were saying to yourself, man. You talked about that side story at the XFL, which we're going to do in another broadcast for sure. But let's talk the five, how the tournament's gone, all the different things. Why did you find found this? What was the reasoning? Yeah, so again, first of all, uh, obviously being a former player and coach, you know, there's a lot of passion there internally. A lot of my clients are professional basketball players who we have some people wearing the patches right now in the NBA but a lot of my clients are ex-NBA players but are professional basketball players overseas where there's a lot more freedom. Like even even my NBA guys have to wear the patch under their jersey because you can't show it publicly. The overseas uh, rules are a little more lax where the guys wearing the patches, you can see it publicly. So when COVID hit and everything got shut down, it didn't just shut down their opportunity to play basketball and earn a living. It shut down speaking engagements, yes. uh, private teaching, coach. You know, you go to these basketball camps and some legend comes and talks. But what the kids may not realize is he probably got paid three, four thousand dollars for that appearance. And some of these guys will do ten appearances, uh, you know, across the summer circuit, and make forty, fifty grand for their family. All of that revenue got turned off and and these guys were guys who yeah, they did play in the nba but they didn't necessarily have a hundred million dollar contract they had you know a couple of million and after taxes and lifestyle and everything else when you don't have any money coming in via via you know work they were struggling so i said you know what there's no sports right now let me see especially because vegas at the time was re you know really reduced in their cases i said let me see if i can get a tournament together with with guys and the real hook for us wasn't just to put these um, NBA players 
back on the court like in the big three, uh, probably who a lot of people think we're synonymous with, but more importantly, to actually form teams. So the unique aspect of our event is that we got five ex-New York Knicks to represent New York. We got five ex-Chicago Bulls to represent Chicago and so on and so forth. So when people were tuning in during this week to watch our games and saw New York, Chicago, it truly was the Bulls against the Knicks. It, It just was, you know, from yesteryear. And again, these guys are in their 30s. They're not walking out there, you know, with, no. with you know, canes and wheelchairs. As a matter of fact, Amir Johnson was on the Sixers roster just a few months ago, and there's a very good chance he'll wind up back in the league. And people like Nate Robinson and Mario Chalmers were being considered for the bubble, and, and even Mario may, may wind up back in the league. So a lot of these guys have a lot of basketball left in them. And I'm really proud about that because tonight we have, you know, the Toronto Five against the uh sacramento five and the reason for the five that terminology is in reference to this five men on a roster so it's three on three basketball uh with five men and it's the toronto five against the sacramento five and one of the things that we've been promoting is you know toronto in the nba is the current defending champion yeah and and they may get a they may get a second championship tonight you know so very very exciting for and anyone who would like to uh you know come watch it we we really want to have a great audience, and you could get it, you know, pay-per-view. All the pay-per-views in the United States are covering it. So whether it's in demand or if you're remote or if it's DirecTV or Dish, you know, you just go to your pay-per-view ordering option, and it's right there for everybody. And that's been a great event, and we're very, very excited to have this uh, championship tonight. Are you going to have a replay of all this at the end after it's all over? Well, you mean replay the tournament somewhere yeah. on a uh, yeah? So we basically have really shot a first-class production. And that's the thing I'm most proud of. You look at the NFL; they had to cancel all their preseason games, cancel the the uh, Hall of Fame games. Yes. Uh, you know, Ivy League, Patriot League canceling. You know, the Marlins just canceled a bunch of their games. The thing that really hits me is uh, we're getting some press. But how this is not, I have to say selfishly, how this is not a bigger story is beyond me. I I have, I mean, I have Mike Bibby, Mario Chalmers, Nate Robinson. I, mean, I got names. I have guys out here in the desert playing basketball hard. These games are one possession games. There are betting lines. There's production, replay, stats. The announcers have been Tim Hardaway, Gary Payton, yeah, I know. Alan Houston. How no one is talking about this out there in in, in greater uh, aspect is kind of odd to me. So because, you know, I think that's happened, one of the things that we've done is really made a very, very high-level production. And to get to your question, I believe we're going to be able to speak to different platforms like maybe a Pluto TV or, dare I even say, you know, Netflix or Amazon Prime, just like, you know, Amazon, I think, picked up The Last Dance. And especially our biggest game, you know, in terms of history – Last night, we had a full-court game between ex-NBA and current current and, and ex-WNBA players. You know, Battle of the Sexes, first time it's ever been done exactly. in professional sports. And it was 91-81. It was a great game, a 10-point game. And again, it's something where I think as more and more people relax themselves and are able to just focus in on something else other than you know this 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 horrible disease that's going on i think we're gonna be able to get some replay love and i'm excited that we did a great job with it i look forward to rebroadcasting it um at a future date for sure
the battle of the sexes would definitely sell. And I just think you sell it to the big networks as well, because I don't want to know the outcome till you play it on that. And we'll have to find out and have a, uh, a, a kind of round Robin review of everything again and all those different things. But everyone checks, goes ahead and check out the five you Google it, but also ultimately the other place that they can go is to their pay-per-view right now and purchase tonight's championship game. And I appreciate you, Jerry coming by and we're going to stay in touch for sure. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. I look forward to speaking more about you. And yeah, what's happened here is very, very unique, uh, but it's been accomplished. And I just look forward to, uh, you know, keep on moving on, as they say, you know. All right, Jerry. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, see you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show. Here's simulcasted with also freedom from addiction here on the Neil Haley show and freedom from addiction on total media network and you can check it out freedom for addictions podcast on Lipson. and our topics today our topic today is one i think that just is controversial very 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 controversial it hit facebook like a uh and twitter and all these places and was removed in seconds and people have been trying to get freedoms truly about COVID-19. We've talked about hydroxychloroquine and the success stories of patients that take it as a prophylactic or take it as uh, when they first get the virus, it's come out, you know, night and day information. But when was the first, our guest and also my co-host of this segment and when, how are you today? And, uh, Really, you were the first to bring this out about a month ago, and now finally it's coming out to the mainstream. Well, that's right. Um, our platform is, is not national, and national doesn't want to hear our news. But at any rate, they had a first white coat summit of medical doctors on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., uh, Monday and Tuesday. And you, you may see some video from that until they take it down. But um, these doctors have gotten together and are reaffirming what we've been saying for the last month, which is that hydroxychloroquine, uh, and often put with azithromycin uh, and and um, also zinc, will reduce your chances of getting COVID if you take it prophylactically, and if you've got COVID will stop the disease before you have to go to the hospital. So as you know, over a thousand Americans are dying every day in this country. And here we have a cure for that problem. And that's what I wanted to talk about today. Okay. So let's jump right to it. Let's jump right to the, uh, the, um, the topic today is in the, the press conference white coat summit on Capitol Hill. And this is like hit the, I mean, this like was one of the biggest shockers and everyone who's been tired of hearing about masks, tired of about shutting down businesses, tired of that this, that the kids should not go back to school. We're absolutely validated that they were questioning the professionals questioning the science that's out there uh that's a lot of left science uh just so that they can keep the economy down keep people at home and destroy small businesses 
So when, tell us about the summit. Well, there, I don't know how many doctors attended the summit, but I saw a bunch of them on uh, the press conference that they put out, which had to get some kind of coverage, and it did. But, you know, they're going to be taking it down and discrediting it. But basically, what it was, was they've got these doctors that are out there on the front lines treating COVID patients across America. And they have tremendous results from early use of hydroxychloroquine. And one doctor told me that um, the three drugs that he uses, prescribes uh, in early COVID, uh, cost less than $50. So if you don't have insurance, you can afford $50. And who in their right mind, if hydroxychloroquine was effective and was safe, and if it were available, if, if the medical and pharmaceutical uh, establishment would allow it to be to given out, would not take $50 out of their pocket so that they didn't have to die, it's a no-brainer. And we can talk about any of those things that you want to as far as uh, safety, reliability, um, efficiency on preventing the disease or getting sick. But no, no, I mean, looking at, you know, the specifics when you talk about it, um, I think that the big thing I would like to j jump towards is just what you got gained from the summit watching it. Uh, that basically doctors came back out with certain things that were not shocking, but we were starting to see it regarding masks. First of all, when, what were they bringing out about masks? Well, um, you know, th this, this was not about masks and not about social distancing and not about stay at home. This was about hydroxychloroquine. So I don't know. And since I tried to get to their website in Google and Google wouldn't bring it up, I haven't been able to get over to their... I will get you the video when I've, I have friends that still have it up. So let me get you that link. And then we'll have when we can discuss this even further. So let's talk about. So what you gathered is you've heard about was just hydroxychloroquine. Well, it was not just hydroxychloroquine. It was about children and the spread of the virus at that summit. And it was about masks as well. And many different areas that uh, Donald Jr. retweeted as well and got his account revoked off Twitter. And so <laughs> we'll have to have part two of this, but I think that the topic really needs to say that you are been, you've been validated. Uh, what you've been able to bring out on my program is you are, you're, you're completely proved correct based on the doctors you've interviewed. And now with this white coast summit talking about hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. They are essentially saying what we've been putting out for the last month which is if you use a proven uh, safe treatment program in your family doctor's office and are able to get a prescription that you can nip the disease in the bud and it doesn't go down the line of ER, ICU, respirator, death. So, you know, I mean, it's groundbreaking news, but there are a lot of forces in this country that don't want people to know about it. 
And that's what we've been trying to do is to try to tell people about this in our podcast. And now uh, other doctors have gotten to Washington and have done a press conference and it's going to be harder to hide the news. (laughs) Yes, it will. And so uh, definitely great uh, information. And I think we could talk more about it, but I think regarding other things, kids returning to school, uh, wearing masks. I heard a response to kids returning to school that uh, they don't catch it very good. They don't get very sick and they don't send it back to their families and the community very much. So there were some doctors on there that were advising uh, to send the kids back to school. Okay. And um, regarding masks, when should we wear masks and when should we not? Well, there's, there's debate over that. There's some people that, that say there's not the science to, to um, force somebody to wear a mask. And that if you're within six feet of people for over 15 minutes, you probably ought to have a mask on. Uh, I don't think that that's going to be harmful. It may be very beneficial. So with respect to mask, I think that you probably ought to wear it if you're going to be exposed to people. Okay. All right. Well, another awesome short segment, but a great segment. And where can people go back? And really, you, you delve into some really long, interesting topics with lots of information right at, uh, on your podcast, right? Right. So, um, they want to go to my podcast is free. I'll give you the direct link. You put this in your address bar, your phone or your computer, and it'll take you right to the most recent podcast. And then you can scroll down. I've got scores and scores and scores of different podcasts, but to the pick the ones that you want. The the link is www.freedomfromaddiction.libson and that's L I B S N boy S Y N dot com. No spaces, all lowercase. And that'll get you over there. And I will be continually trying to get you more information every day about where you can go to hear the truth. It's just below the surface. Fabulous. Well, great, uh, great topics. Again, people check that out and go to revwinhendersonmd.com if you want to learn more about Dr. Henderson. So I appreciate you coming by and uh, thanks for great information. Again, updating us that we really need to know because it's, it's being hidden in many places. Thank you, uh, Neil, for having me on your show today. All right. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show simulcasted here on the freedom from addiction here on Lipson and also the Neil Haley show on the total media network. And it's the freedom for addiction from addiction time with uh, Reverend Wynn Henderson. And you have a tagline you use every time now for this program, especially how you're bringing news before news comes out on the mainstream. And what is it called? Truth just below the surface. Yes. And for our next topic later today in another interview, 
you really, really were the first person uh, on podcasts or YouTube to really uncover the whole hydroxychloroquine thing. And so we'll be talking about it another time. But today's topic is really sad that there's a significant increase of drug overdose, overdoses during the pandemic. And why is that happening? Well, according to the uh, overdose detection mapping application program, that's the map, a federally run program that collects data from local police and hospital records, overdoses nationwide increased year over year in March by 18%, April in 29%, and in May in 42%. In Chicago alone, the Cook County medical record shows 656 overdose deaths in May. In 2019, Chicago only reported 473 deaths from the period of time from January to June. So uh, a lot more people are accidentally killing themselves with substance abuse. Now, most of these are coming from fentanyl, which is a narcotic, and it can be up to 100 times stronger than heroin. Cynthia uh, Sievright, the director of Vermont's Division of Alcohol and Drug Abuse Program, connected two dots and said preliminary data has shown a surge in overdoses the same week that the stimulus checks were received. And apparently getting those checks is a trigger for people to take drugs. To be clear, I'm not saying that everyone is taking their stimulus checks to buy drugs, but obviously this free fake money is not the end all be all to our country's problems. You remember back in the eighties, it was jokingly said that cocaine is God's way of telling you that you're making too much money. <laughs> well, it's fentanyl. Now, you can find out how you can be cured from substance abuse by going to my website, which is www.revwinhendersonmd.com. And for the limited uh, future, I'm offering a free telephone conversation to explore your questions about substance abuse. And you can reach me at 828-508-7981. So that's what I had uh, to tell you about as far as increasing substance abuse overdoses. And um, there's, there's so much to go into, we don't have time to, to talk to it, but I'm just giving you a heads up. I mean, that's, Terrible to know, and especially uh, people that got stimulus checks, a lot more research probably needs to be done on those specific things. Uh, who does get the stimulus checks when, and if we're giving it to drug abusers, then that's really not money well spent. No, but the government wastes a lot of money, you know, on all kinds of things. Like uh, the uh, IRS, gave out uh, over a billion dollars, I believe the, the figure was, to uh, get, send stimulus checks to dead people. So, you know. Okay. 
Awesome. All right. That was, again, everyone needs to check out RevWinHendersonMD.com. And anything else to add? Yeah. Uh, also, very important, go over to my free podcasts, which I talk about all kinds of things, but especially now I'm hitting hard on how to not die with COVID-19. Awesome. www.freedomfromaddiction.com. It'll take you right there. Awesome. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Celebrity Slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download. Free to play. Yeah. 